beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram, and uh, alongside with Joshua Black. How are you today, Joshua? <laughs> I'm doing good, Sean. <laughs> Sean, how are you today? You always ask me how I'm doing. I want to know how are you doing? Thank you. I'm well. I feel great. Super energetic. Had some coffee earlier today. And yeah, we wanted to touch upon and talk about who we are because sometimes we forget to do that. But we are Grief Dreams Podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Ram. I'm the co-host. That's Joshua Black. He's doing his PhD in the field. He's nearly completing it. And he's doing it on uh, the wonderful subject of grief dreams. And that's the main reason why we're even here today, to be able to talk to individuals who have dealt with their own grief, who are going through other stuff, um, and who also get to, you know, again, not only share our, our stories and our lives, but, you know, these amazing people, such as the next person who we have on. Her name is Sandra Roman. So Sandra Roman is a mother of five children, one of which who is now an angel in heaven. Sandra is a native Minnesotan. <laughs> Minnesotan? Minnesotan? All right, I got that, I think. Sandra, is that okay? Minnesotan? Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. She's from Minnesota uh, and also <laughs> lived in various parts of the United States and Mexico. Currently, Sandra is a purchasing manager for a large organization. And Sandra has recently started a blog page called Good Grief Relief after losing her son, Matthew, in 2016. In her blog, she is offering support to other bereaved parents on their grief journey with child loss. She's currently working on her first book that details the tragic story of the loss of her son, Matthew, and the renewed hope that she had discovered on her journey. Sandra is also a member of International Cruise Victims, Inc., a nonprofit organization in hopes of becoming a strong voice for awareness and lobbying Congress for change. Sandra has also been involved in multiple women's ministries in both the United States and Mexico. Sandra, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about Minnesota. I love that place. Minnesota is, well, I love Minnesota. I keep coming back, obviously. <laughs> it's the four seasons, I guess, is what I like the best about Minnesota. Mm. We have, you know, you, you have your true winter lasts a little bit too long, probably like Canada, but yes. and we get a lot of snow and it's cold. But our springs are absolutely beautiful. Summers are amazing. Fall is gorgeous. We have a lot, land of 10,000 lakes. And yeah. so there's, Lots to do outdoors if you love outdoors. Twin cities. And my, I must say, you don't really, you have a hint of an, a Minnesota accent. I've only heard a few. Mm. Um, we'll get into that. And also shout out Kevin Garnett, who's my favorite Minnesota basketball player. He's not there anymore, but Kevin Garnett. <laughs> so I, it's funny you went to Minnesota. I was curious about the Mexico thing because the Day of the Dead is something that we haven't talked about on the podcast. But I'm guessing, Sandra, you know a little bit about it. I do know a little bit about it. Um, I obviously didn't know anything about it before I lived there. It's um, celebrated for remembering the dead. And mm -hmm. so they actually have festivities in their home. They make their deceased favorite foods like candles. And they're basically a celebrating. Um, they're celebrating what people here are afraid to talk about, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, that's right. That's why I think it's so amazing that culture is they they give one day a year, right? To really for everyone to remember those who've died. So they're not pushing away the topic. They're actually embracing it. Right. It's it's really kind of cool. Like, you know, they really are 
the whole family gets involved, and it's a big deal. It's Cinco de Mayo here is kind of a myth. That really isn't a big deal in Mexico, but the Day of the Dead or uh, Dia de Muerto is a big deal. Wow, that's cool. And so when you were in Mexico, did you have anyone that had died prior that you're remembering? Or did was your, your son the first person that died? No, my grandmother passed away in 2006. And she was, I was very, very close to her. She pretty much raised me. So yeah, she had passed away. So it's putting her picture, not that they're not already out, but putting it out on the table, putting a candle, saying a prayer, um, making her rice pudding or things that I knew from her recipe book that she, she did. So I tried to take part a little bit in, in their tradition. That's cool. And was there like any time like I see it, there's people playing, what's that small guitar? That people play don't they play a small or they play guitar is there a lot of guitar playing going on well there's music going on yeah. in the squares like in the little towns that you live in there's always at night people gather and there's like vendors there and there's always music i don't know what it would be called i don't think it's a ukulele but yeah <laughs> music um <laughs> yeah they have people playing music and kids running around because it's cooler in the night you know so mm -hmm. that's when kind of the people come out and they're home from work and yeah so People out eating corn. It's like corn on the cob, but they put mayonnaise and cheese on and hot sauce and wow. elote. That's a big thing. And <laughs> vendor selling things. What part of uh, Mexico did you live in? Well, originally I was in Zihuatanejo in near Ixtapa. And then I was in, the, in a border town right off the border of Douglas, Arizona which is not an exciting town at all to be talking wow, about. Wow, right on the but... border, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of lot of crime. I lived in a very nice area, like an affluent area for that place um, with the doctors and lawyers, and we had a gate around the house. Some of my neighbors had actually guards on guard 24 hours wow. in front. Because if you had money, you're, you're high profile. If you're American, you're kind of profile, like, potential yeah I've, I've, like I've heard of that mm -hmm. especially around the border it can be very tricky mm -hmm. and from the house i lived in we could see the border it was literally a block a block <laughs> out my front door and um so and i worked on the other side i worked in arizona and crossed the border every day and my now 14 year old he's actually my grandson but i've had him since he was a baby i've been raising him he was probably eight-ish, eight or nine, and he um, saw a truck full of people pull up in front of the house, and they had guns, and he's like, Mom, Mom, I'm like, what? He's like, come here, there's people outside with guns, and they jumped out of the back of the truck, seriously, ran towards the border, and they had suitcases, and they put up a fence, I'm not a fence, a, um, a ladder, like a 12-foot ladder, and they lassoed some type of suitcase or bag and yield it over the top of the fence, you know, the, the border walls from us. <laughs> and I knew a friend on the other side whose husband worked for um, immigration. And so I called her right away and she's like, okay, I'll tell him, but just so you know, don't ever call me and tell me these kind of things because you never know who's listening and who, who would find out when we never want them to know, Hey, this came from, you know, Fourth Street and whatever, because the police looked the other way, you know, and yeah. that was when I had to leave. 
when I found that out, I'm like, what? I can't even tell on them that this is what's going on. Yeah. Oh no, I can't. I can't live here. This is too dangerous. And my child's bedroom window from the street to the house is that close to what looked almost like teenage kids. You know. So. Wow, that sounds like a movie. Experience. <laughs> sounds yeah. like the opening a lot scene of parts to of my movie. life that. And I'm glad you got out for the second act because uh, it didn't sound like, you know, but uh, no, that's great. You know, and that's a great, uh, it, you know, we have a lot to talk about and we want to really get into your story because, uh, you know, again, yeah, you have a very interesting story. I think everybody will gain from it and, and wants to hear. So let's talk about your kids. How many children do you have? <laughs> I have five children of which one is my grandson. Um, again, I've had him since he was born, so I'm mom, um, and that's how he's always known, but he's always also known who his biological mother was, and it was my daughter, but she was mm -hmm. 17 when he was born, and just much too young, and, you know, life for her was um, hanging out with friends, and so I took care of the baby, and I probably took over much more than I should have, so he bonded with me, and I bonded with him, and... Mm -hmm. When she would try to take him, he would cry, and um, I would pack him up and take him with me to work because she would sleep through him crying, and I was too afraid that he, nobody would care for him. Mm. So um, she'd wake up at noon and say, call me, Mom, where's the baby? I'm like, he's with me. And she's like, oh, okay, just checking. <laughs> and, uh, so that's kind of um, how that started, and you know, by the time she was you know, probably more ready to take care of him. He was about four and um, it was determined that, you know, he's bonded with you and I'm more like his sister. And so that's kind of how that happened. Wow. And yeah. let's see. And how old are and your other have... kids? Okay, Brittany is 33. <laughs> um, then my next, my next <laughs> oldest is Brooke and she's 31. My son, Matthew, would be 27 now. And then my youngest daughter is 22, Mackenzie. Wow. Wow. So, like, it's you've been through, I guess, the harder times, I guess, when you're <laughs> children. And now they're all, you know, adults. Do you ever miss being a mom? You know, like, they, where they really needed you? I don't think I've ever had a time to miss it because I'm still doing it. Oh. You know, um, who because you? Miguel's only 14. Yes, he's not uh, a baby. Yeah. But I have him, you know, he's in first year of high school. He's a freshman, you know. And so I honestly, I believe that God put him in our lives because he saved me. Like, mm. seriously, when all this went down and everything happened, I had to continue because I have a child that didn't have anybody but me. And so even if I didn't want to get up in the morning um, or <laughs> cook dinner or whatever, I had to. It, you didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and to feel needed, you know, that that that's also a part of that, you know, that love that goes back and forth. And, uh, you know, I can I can kind of imagine that and seeing how that can help you move forward as well, you know, and the connection of your grandson, who's now become, you know, pretty much like your son. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's just trying to think of like, you know, that's the, it, it can be complicated, maybe even for us to understand of like how the relationship between you and your daughter, but 
and, and your and the son that you guys share. But at the same time, you know, that's your daughter. That's your blood. That's your genetics. And, you know, you've got that community, that sense of it's almost like old world kind of mentality where, you know, grandparents take care of everybody in the house. Right. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it, it. I feel that connection. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's made it hard. We've had a strained relationship off and on because, you know, I think when she was younger, she felt like I, you know, took him from her and took over. <laughs> and but then as she really if she stopped letting the other people tell her, you know, when you let other people tell you what you're doing wrong, like what? How can you have get married and have other kids and you don't have him? That guilt for her would then make her kind of be angry with me or. Mm yeah, I should have him back kind of thing. And then when we would talk, though, and it would be like, listen, you loved him enough to give him the life that he deserves. You loved him enough to let him, you know, let him stay where he knew he was secure and safe and, you know, what he grew up with. And and then she would calm down. But And that was back in the older days. And now it's like, it's just normal. They just, they banter back and forth like brother and sister. And oh, yeah, that's wild. And it's amazing that he was able to be that that rock that you needed to get up and move and, you know, work and sit with your pain. And so I'm I'm really curious, could you talk about the loss of your son and how that affected you? Cuz I'm guessing if he saved you, you must have needed saving. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. So my son, Matthew, was 24 years old. It was a month before his 25th birthday. A little background on him first is, so up up until having my grandson, he was my only son. The girls used to tease all all the time that he was mama's boy and that I, you know, loved him the most and, you know, always be with any of your kids. You know, nope, I love you all the same. And 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 now that Matt's gone, the funny thing is they say to me, see, he was always your favorite mom, but now it's okay you can admit it. Cause <laughs> and he would brag about that, too, and be like, I'm mom's baby. Like, he was three. This is back before car seats were such a huge deal. And he would get the front seat when we picked up from daycare. And the girls who were, what, eight and ten were in the back seat because he was the little man. <laughs> and so we had a really good relationship, I would say. Um, there, He just showed me unconditional love. It was like there was nothing that I could do in his eyes that would ever tarnish that. He put me up on a pedestal and he loved me so much and vice versa. And as he grew up, he got involved in some of my work, and he was, I work in the construction industry purchasing, but um, a lot of my coworkers and friends would hire him to do jobs, and he eventually became an apprentice plumber working for one of the contractors that we had working for us, and so I would come on job sites sometimes, and people would point out, hey, Matt, look, that's your mom, and he would just smile, just so proud so he was so proud of his mom and just made it known that he would tell everybody that he was a mama's boy and that's my mama and we had a very close relationship so um 24 years old he goes on a cruise he got a a cruise trip from his girlfriend for christmas and him and andrea and another couple went together on this four or five day trip to the bahamas and at the same time, I was actually on vacation in Mexico. So it was perfect timing. 
and he went on his trip and while on his trip they you know got off a couple different locations and the Wednesday evening so they left on Monday that Wednesday evening he started calling me on Facebook Messenger and I was in Tulum at the time and we couldn't connect so I could see the call coming in but I couldn't I couldn't every time I pick it up I couldn't hear his voice I would call him back and the same thing would happen. So finally he sends me a sad face and he says, um, I'm going to go up to the top of the deck and see if I can get better reception and I'll call you again. So he tried again and it didn't work. And, um, so then he says, I'm sorry. He goes, I just wanted to tell you how much I love you and how much I miss you. I'm like, oh, you are the sweetest kid. What 24-year-old guy wants to call his mom when he's on a cruise in the Bahamas? Like, you know, that just isn't common. <laughs> and um, so I, he sent me some pictures and I, you know, mentioned how his beard was all bushy and he tells me, I'm a man, mama. And we just had a really, <laughs> a really beautiful exchange of text messages. And I said, are you having fun? Because right away as a mom, you're kind of like, hmm, why is he, you know, why is he trying to call me right now? You know, is everything right? So I texted and said, is everything okay? Are you having a good time? And he said, yeah, I'm having a blast. And okay, so that's good. Well, I will see you this weekend. And he sent me a few pictures. I sent him a few pictures, told him I loved him. And um, that evening he went out with his um, one of his best friends, Tino, and they went you know, drinking and gambling and such. They had bought some drink passes, so they drank quite a bit. So um, he, his girlfriend said that um, he came back to the cabin around 3 o'clock in the morning and was definitely inebriated and woke up around 7 and he was sick. So he was throwing up and they assumed that he had a hangover. She left for breakfast and came back and checked on him throughout the day. He still was in the same condition. So that evening she says something's wrong, Matthew. This is not normal. There's something going on we need to get you to the doctor. So she had looked up in the the directory what time they were open and she said, they open, they're closing at eight o'clock. We need to get you there now. So his friend and her helped him down to the infirmary to see what was going on. Um, When they get there, they see the nurse sees him and he's this very handsome buff looking kid. And, you know, they're assuming First question she says is, have you been drinking? He's like, well, yeah, I'm on a cruise. That's what people do. And he said, but I haven't been today. And I've been throwing up all day. And so she advises him to take some Malax and that he would feel better. And he said, I can't take anything because I can't keep it down. Um, so she said, well, I can have the doctor come and see you if you'd like, but that's $200 of cash. You'd have to pay it up front, and I honestly don't think you need it. They, I see this all the time. I'm sure it's just a hangover. It happens all the time on these cruises. And, you know, they're 24, but they're, to me, they're still kids, you know? And so and if a professional is telling them, okay, you're fine, you know, you should be fine, just do this, and you'll be okay, they're going to they're gonna believe them. So she gave them some pills, some, like an anti-acid pill, and told them to take this. and. Um, Go back to your cabin, and I guarantee you in a half an hour you'll feel better. So they do that, and they go back, and by morning they were porting in Miami, 
And so all night long he was in pain and still throwing up and sick. And when they tried to get off the ship, his girlfriend said that he was having a hard time breathing, so she called for help. They got him a wheelchair and got him to the top of the ship and um, told him that he had to get out of the wheelchair because he didn't pay for it. Jesus. And he walked about 10 steps and collapsed on the the walkway between the ship and the port building. That's when finally somebody paid attention and called for um, a nurse. This is the first time that he actually had his vital signs checked, his pulse, blood pressure, nothing was checked the night before. So this uh, at this moment, now she does, and she says he needs immediate medical attention, and it would be faster to get him to a an ambulance um, on an ambulance and it would be to bring him back through the crowd of people that were coming out and back into the doctor. So the, of course the kids said, yes, let's do that. They got him another wheelchair. She put them back in it and the nurse disappears. So nobody's sure if she went to call 911 or what happened. So they start running with him towards the door to, with the wheelchair to get him out of, you know, to get him to an ambulance. And his girlfriend notices that his eyes rolled back. And prior to that, this is one thing that just breaks my heart, but he looked at his friend Tino and said, Tino, I'm going to die. And Tino's like, no, man, you're not. Come on, just hold on. We're going to get you to the hospital. Just hold on. And a minute later, his girlfriend said his eyes rolled back in his head and they, you know, were yelling at this man that was pushing him in the wheelchair to stop and get him out. And he had gone into cardiac arrest. So they get him out of the wheelchair and they lay him down on the floor. There, um, the nurse is now gone. There's not anybody that's helping them, and the kids are screaming for help, like, someone please help us. And there's hundreds of people exiting the ship and walking by, so it's like chaos, you know. And a passenger who happened to be a nurse stopped and said, I'm a nurse, let me see if I can help you. Shows his friend how to tilt his head back, and she's trying to give him CPR. And one of the carnival employees says, hey, stop. We we need to clear this area. You need to back away. And so she stopped, and nothing was done, basically. At that same time, I'm getting a phone call from his girlfriend, and now I'm in Isla Mujeres on an island, and her first statement to me is, Sandra, Matthew's not breathing. And I'm like, what? I mean, you're in complete shock. What are you talking about? And she's like, we're trying to get off the boat. You know, she's in a panic, trying to get off the ship. We need to get him to a hospital. He's not breathing. We don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, well, who's with you? And she, you know, tells me Tino. And there's a lady that was trying to give him CPR, but she can't. And I'm like, where are you in relation to him? She was, I'm by his feet. I'm like, okay. And I don't know what what took over me, but that um, fix it thing came in, and I was like, pacing now in the parking lot. And I said, put your hands on him. Lay your hands on him, and we're gonna pray for him. We're gonna believe God to breathe life back into him. And I'm just begging God to breathe life into my son. I knew every cell in his body in Jesus name. And I'm just, you know, through the phone. And so she's doing this. And then finally she says, okay, um, the ambulance driver is here. I need to let you go. I'll call you back when we get in. Okay. So they do that. In the meantime, I'm like, okay, what do I do? Do I, do I pack up and go? I mean, now nah, he's going to be okay. Right. I mean, he'll probably just be there for a few days. He'll be okay. I mean, because you have no concept of what really is going on. It's like you just, I don't know, it's like a hit in the head by a Mack truck, just blindsided completely to think that your kid 
the love of your life is not going to live? I mean, it's just, no, that's not even possible. And so thankfully I had friends with me and my friends were like, no, we're putting you on a plane and we're packing you up and they're packing my suitcase up while the other one's calling the airline and the other one's getting me on a shuttle um, to get back to the airport. And because I didn't honestly know what to do. You don't know how to move. You're like in complete shock. And I got there, made it to Miami, made it to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, he was barely hanging on, even on all complete life support. They did revive him in the ambulance. He had another cardiac arrest in the ER. I was communicating with the hospital that was letting me know that he was in really bad condition and I let your family members know that everyone that needs to get here needs to get here safely, but as soon as possible. At that moment, figure it happened, they weren't sure, was that he's bleeding internally, his pancreas had hemorrhaged, and that he was so severely dehydrated that all his organs had shut down. And that's what caused the cardiac arrest. We had sepsis along with dehydration. And that's what caused his cardiac arrest. So um, all the way there, I'm, you know, reaching out to people on Facebook and um, I can't even think of the name, Pat Robertson's group, 700 Club, Andrew Womack, all these different prayer groups. I was calling people and texting and Facebook messaging people to pray for my son and believe for a miracle. He's having, you know, in trouble and in Miami and needs everyone's prayers. And so that was kind of traveling around like wildfire. And so I get to the hospital and Matthew's really struggling. He had like 60 over 40 blood pressure. His uh, They couldn't get his oxygen level above like 78, 80%. And I got there and I was in shock, first of all, to see your son that way. But I just put, again, put on that mom mode and I'm going to take care of him and just touched every inch of his body from his head to his toe and kissed him and loved on him and prayed over him and, you know, we're fighting. You're going to make it. You're going to do this. It's going to be okay. And within an hour of me being in his presence, everything went to normal. He had 100% oxygen level, 110 over 80 blood pressure, pulse, everything. Doctors and nurses were coming in the room and they're like, smiling instead of being, you know, all glum and nobody wanted to, you know, crack a smile because of what was happening. Suddenly they're coming in and like, oh my gosh, looking at the monitors and like, wow, and really seriously surprised. So we had to stabilize them in order to do surgery. They were saying basically, whatever you're doing is working. (laughs) Um, So keep doing what you're doing and we'll keep doing what we're doing. So his dad arrives, his friends fly in. There's room full of people, and his sister was in Dubai, and um, she flew into town too. She didn't get there till the next day, and it seemed about an hour after she made it, I stepped out of the room to go get some air to go outside and left her alone with him, and within two minutes of me leaving the room, he went into his third and final cardiac arrest, and I was called back to the room and went back up there. Now we have, you know, sisters are there, girlfriend, girlfriend's friends, um, his buddies, a couple of his buddies and their girlfriends, his father and his father's wife. So like a room of like seriously like 20 people plus the rotation of what eight to 10 emergency doctors that are doing 
the, I'm not sure how they call that, but when you're trying to resuscitate somebody with the paddles, it was seriously something from just a bad movie. Like, like you were watching this happening and you can't even believe that you're in it and this is happening. <laughs> and um, so I um, was at the head of his bed and everybody's working on him. All the girls are screaming and crying and the doctors are working on him and I'm rubbing his hair and kissing his forehead and I felt him above me. And I looked up and turned around. They're still working on him. I look up and turn around. I don't see anything, but I can feel him. I feel this warmth above me, and I feel him looking down at me. And I'm like, he's not here. I kissed his head, and I said, it's okay, baby. You can go. I'll be okay. I promise you I'll be okay. And I got up, and I told his dad, he's not here. He's not in this room anymore. He's gone. And his dad said, let's go in the other room then. And we told the doctor, like, you guys can keep doing what you're doing, but we don't want to remember the end of this this way, so we're going to go in the other room. So the three of us, his um, stepmom and his dad and I, went in the waiting room, and about five minutes later we heard the room just wailing, of, no, brother, and, you know, and we knew. And I wasn't at that time not even crying because it was like I knew that I knew that he had passed and I knew that he was okay. Um don't know how to explain it. Just felt that, just knew that it was okay. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's a it's a it's a big story, you know. And it says a lot of emotions going in there, especially the helplessness on the phone. Like that's what I sort of mm-hmm. get a lot of. Because you, you as a mom, you're always there, and this is like the time you can't be there because you're not even in the same country. And mm-hmm. to, to just be on the phone and like that that weight, you know, that I can only I can't imagine. You know what you would have been feeling like in those times with between phone calls, you know, um, but you had to go through that and then to then see your son die, but then have that really interesting mm-hmm. moment at the end, which I think is really fascinating. Where yeah, I mean, you know, to like, me too. <laughs> it's that connection. Yeah, it's it's the connection. Yeah. It's like I feel like your our children are part of us. They're a part of our soul. We brought them into this world. They're a piece of us and. And especially we're so connected to them. Especially your favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> especially my favorite baby boy. <laughs> uh, you guys, like, you have to know this. Like, he used to text me messages and say things like, Mom, I'm going to build you a beautiful rose garden. So every morning when you wake up, you look out and see how beautiful you are to me. That's Aww. the kind of text he would send at 21, 22 years old. We're going to have to edit this out just so I don't, so my mom doesn't listen to this I know, and expect I was, all this stuff from me. I was just going to say, I was such a terrible son. I'm looking, thinking back right now, like, man, yeah. what did just take it? What, you know, I'm going to go call my mom after this. <laughs> no, you know, I feel the heartache. We feel the pain. We feel the anguish. That's a, it's a heart-wrenching story, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of parents are probably listening to this and, and people have those fears. They have the, you know, send their kids away on trips and vacations and stuff. And it's out of your control. I mean, when you really look at it, it's all out of our control. But, uh, you know, the the negligence, the the systemic breakdown, and we'll get into that a little bit more probably with the, uh, when we talk about the cruise victims fund, but um you know that's the terrible thing. I I I hate to hear that. I, you hate to hear that 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 real mistakes were made 
that that you know your son didn't get the attention he needed at the when he needed it and then you sitting on the other end you know as a parent uh way you know the motions the feelings like josh had pointed out just the just that that suffering and pain that that went with that um just tremendous story and thank you for sharing it because and i think obviously moving forward now you sharing that story it, it is the, the helpful and the benefit and and we see the love we we hear it we you know we you know just hearing about your son and, and the, the love that you guys shared together like that's a beautiful thing and there's there's something special about that as well uh, i wanted to ask you um how did others other people respond to the death of your son um and not just family members but maybe like even the circle a little bit beyond that uh friends family grandparents matthew's death was devastating to many people um and honestly to see the amount of people that he lives he touched was so cool to me that itself gave me a little bit a, a little bit of a just a little heartwarming gift because I didn't I knew he was popular he my son was gorgeous I don't know if you've seen this picture but he's a gorgeous guy and he had lots of girlfriends and lots of friends and he was very athletic and very friendly and he he affected a lot of people there was um probably about 700 people at his funeral between the two days they made t-shirts with his name his face on it with a picture of him that they were you know having at the funeral for all the younger people because he was a younger guy you know so um we did a lantern release and we had a hundred of those and that was really cool for people um it just it really affected a lot of people. I actually was at a wedding this last weekend for his past roommate, and that was so tough, but it was so cool to see two and a half years later, my son was part of the wedding party. His picture was at the table with a candle, and they made him so much a part of this wedding that it was so special. The best man that gave the speech was funny, engaging, everyone's laughing. They had poured everybody champagne to do a toast. And at the very end of the speech, he says, I just want to let everybody know that I'm just the fill-in best man because the best man that should be here can't be here with us. So here, I would like everyone to raise, a, raise their glass and toast to Houston. And my, I didn't expect that. I mean, I knew his picture was there, but I didn't expect that they were going to honor him like that. And it was... It was really cool to be with his boys, and they're all, you know, all have been always, hey, Mom, we're going to be there for you, kind of, you know, we want, we know how much he meant to you and how close you two were, and we, we want to be there as much as we can, and that was really, really nice to be a part of. So he's really had a big effect on a lot of people, including his sisters, um, in their different ways. Everybody grieves differently. My youngest really took it hard. They were really close. And for about a year, she was close to suicidal. That was really hard. Um, my oldest just had a baby two weeks before he passed. So for her, she didn't have, she couldn't fully grieve. She couldn't do that same route that, that we were all in because she had to live for the baby. You know, you couldn't get sucked into that. But, um, and then my middle daughter also just, it's just devastating you don't some people don't want to talk about it because it's too hard and others want to just hear about him and wear his clothes and hear his music and you know things like that so it's it's been a big effect on a lot 
Wow. And I can only imagine like, and you're going through your own stuff as much as you had that experience at the bedside, I'm guessing it was still hard for you to process his death. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. For me, um, that's why this dream was so impactful for me that I had with him because the first year for me was like any grieving parent. I'm sure it was complete. Just, I don't want to swear the word hell. <laughs> um, you just <laughs> you just don't know what to do. I couldn't breathe. I seriously would wake up before my feet would hit the floor and I would be crying. The minute my brain woke up and I laid there, I realized I remembered my son died and I would cry. I wouldn't even get out of bed and I was already a crying. Um, to have him delivered by the FedEx truck in a box because he was cremated. I dropped to the floor when that truck driver left because I didn't know what it was at first. And then when I signed for it and got the package and realized what it was, I put it on the table and I fell to the floor and sobbed for, I don't know, an hour or two. It's, you just can't even imagine having your child delivered to you in a box. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just how fast things can change. So yes, it was, it was hard. My faith in God was shaken. Everything that I was raised to believe in, down to the very core belief, was torn. It just, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen to me. Um, And I believed and I prayed and I told everyone he was going to be a miracle and God was going to save him and he was going to be a testimony for other people and they were going to hear about what he went through and and it was going to happen. And when it took a turn for the worse, I thought that's, you know, what everybody's taught, all this hope of God and him saving us and raising you know, Lazarus from the dead, and that's a whole bunch of hokey. It's just nothing. People just say it to make us believe something. It doesn't mean anything because if God, if you were real, you would have came through and you would have honored my prayer because in front of nurses and doctors and teenagers and kids that I barely knew, I was praying out loud, declaring that you were going to save my son, and you didn't. And how dare you humiliate me? And I turned for a year, you guys, like I didn't drink, and I suddenly started drinking. I wanted to do anything to be out of my mind, out of my reality, you know, just, yeah. (laughs) So I didn't work. I didn't go to work for a year and a half. I couldn't leave the house. All I wanted to do was wear Matthew's sweatpants, his sweatshirts, put on his cologne, look at his pictures, um, watch videos I had of him on replay. You know, I couldn't answer the phone. I couldn't pay bills. I couldn't do the normal everyday functions because everything seemed too big to do. Just overwhelming. Wow. wow. I'm, so, you know, I, I listen <laughs> to this. And I'm like, the suffering you're un- under, how are you on the podcast right now? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, by many different things, obviously, one, God restores you. He can restore your heart. Your heart's broken, and He knows, and He's still there waiting for you to come back. And He knows. He knows. He knows what happened, and He knows what you're going through. So, I believe He truly can forgive what you ever said about him and and know that you were you were in the worst pain you ever had. But he knew it was gonna happen before it happened, right? I mean, he did he have 
does God have a say in it? Um, probably, but maybe there's things that I don't know. Maybe there was a reason. Maybe Matthew was given a choice. Maybe he was shown, hey, if you go back, this is what life's going to look like, and you're going to be, you know, he was without oxygen for 10, 15 minutes. Maybe he would have been a vegetable. Maybe he would have been a, a burden on me. Maybe that's how, maybe Matthew thought of it that way. I don't know, but I want to believe that he had a choice and God said, or you can come here with me. You know, I it just, that's, I guess, that's, what I want to believe. <laughs> yeah. And how, how did you get there? Like, did you talk to like pastors? Did you just like come to this yourself? Because your faith was completely destroyed. So I'm really curious mm -hmm. on how you found, I guess, renewed faith. Well, a, a couple of different things. I had many people that were still praying for me. Um, uh, one of my very best friends every day, and she would send me YouTube videos, and she would send me music, and she would send me scriptures. And most of the time, you guys, to be honest, I wouldn't even listen to them because I'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but she, she knew you before. I mean, she knew your faith before, and she knew – you know, since I was five, I can just tell you, I remember being five and, and loving God so much. My grandma, you know, taught me things and brought me to church. And I remember telling her, Grandma, I'm going to be just like Jesus and I'm never going to sin. I'm going to be just like him. And she'd be like, oh, honey, that's so sweet. And that was like, but that's my heart. That was my heart as a little girl. And so I grew up that way. And like, I really felt that. And obviously as a teenager, we do things and, and we go through different periods of life or whatever, where we're not, we're not so Christian-like, you know? And trust me, I have. But um, that seed was there from way back when. And so even though I was mad at God, I missed that too. And it was like I finally felt like if I'm ever going to see my son again, if I'm ever going to be in his presence, I got to make things right. I got to forgive God because maybe there's something. Maybe he needed him as an angel. I don't know what the reason, and I won't know until I die. But there's some reason. And I just have to have faith that he knows the bigger picture and he knows the reason, wow. you know. And so my, you know, segueing into my dreams kind of also helped along with that. All right. So let's uh, share, share the dreams. I'm really curious. <laughs> okay. So um, every parent, if they've ever lost a child, actually, I would say even um, spouse or husband, we long for that dream. Everybody waits for those dreams that of their deceased person that they love so much. You just want to see them or hear them. So I think that's very common that we all wish for that. So other people were having those and I wasn't. And that was hard. It's like, how could this possibly be? We were so close. There's no possible way he's going to other people and not me. So my youngest daughter had the first one, Mackenzie, and she calls me right away to tell me, Mom, I had a dream of Matt. And we were at a bonfire, and we were both standing there, and all of a sudden I turned and I saw it was my brother. And Jules and I jumped on his back and said, Brother, brother, it's you. Where have you been? And he's like, What are you talking about? I'm right here. I'm right here. And then he turned turned around and she started to follow him and she woke up and she said it was so weird but i feel like he was trying to tell me that he's here that he's still here because he was so surprised and i'm like oh that's so beautiful how come you had that i want one of those <laughs> still i didn't have one and then 
a very good friend of mine who lives in um, Savannah, Georgia, sent me a message on Messenger. Now, I haven't seen her in eight years. She hasn't seen my son in eight years. And she says, I had a dream this weekend, and I need to tell you, I'm not sure if this is going to mean anything to you or not, but I feel like I need to share. You and I were in a garden, a rose garden, and we were talking about Matthew and what happened to him. And in your hand, you had a necklace. And she said the necklace looked like a rosary, but it wasn't a rosary. It was a necklace, but it was like wooden beads in a, in a cross. She was, and it looked like it was made with a hemp, with some type of a hemp string of some kind. And I asked you, what is this necklace and why are you holding this? And you said, you wear it at night and it helps you to dream of Matt. And that's all the dream was. And I woke up. And I don't know if that means anything to you or not, but I just thought I'd share. So I read her message. I was like, oh, my God. On my rearview mirror in my car is what she described to a T. So I took it off and took a picture and sent it to her. And then I called her. I'm like, I can't even believe you just described this. This was Matthew's. He used to wear it. And now I've had it hanging on my rearview mirror for the last five months. (laughs) So I'm going to take this advice from this dream and I'm going to start wearing the necklace. <laughs> I hadn't been wearing it. <laughs> and so I, I I did that. And um, she also, she's into meditation and yoga and she told me kind of how to do that. And she said, I really feel that Matthew's trying to connect with you, but you're so deep in your grief that you can't hear from him. So I think what you should try doing is meditate. Um before you go to sleep don't lay down do it sitting up because otherwise you'll fall asleep (laughs) and just clear your mind and you know so I started doing that with some essential oils and putting things on in my room like that and wearing the necklace and so then about a month later I had my first dream and it was um very brief he was you know beautiful and handsome and I'm like "Oh, oh my god baby it's you and I hug him and he's like, Mom, I got to tell you something. And I go out and he goes, do you know what? Do you know why I love you so much? And I said, why? And he goes, because you believe in me. I'm like, well, of course I do. He goes, no, you don't get it. You really, really believe in me. I'm like, yes, of course I do, honey. I do. I do believe in you. And he's like, no, you really believe in me. I'm like, yes. And then I woke up and it was just like real quick. I'm like, what was that? But... You know, I woke up, I cried, I wanted to get back to the dream because I wanted there to be more, I wanted to see more, I wanted to hear more. Why were you telling me this? Well, at the time, we were still waiting on his autopsy. So this is six months after he passed away. Still hadn't gotten it. And there was some speculation, oh, maybe he was doing drugs, maybe something happened like that. And so I'm asking all his buddies, like, you guys, you promise, just tell me it's okay. If it did, I'm not mad. If something happened, I just want to know the truth. I mean, and they're like, no, Sandra, this did nothing like that. He would never do that. He wouldn't do this. He wouldn't do that. He drank, but no, he didn't do any drugs. I'm like, okay, not that I'm judging. I don't care. I just, please tell me the truth. And they kept telling me no. And I'm like, all right, I believe that. But, you know, some of the other people on the other side were his dad, one of them. I think there's something they're not telling you. I think they know more than they're not, you know? And I kept telling his dad, no, that's not true. Matthew wouldn't do that. So I feel like it was almost him thanking me 
for believing him and, you know, sticking up for him. Of course, when his autopsy finally came, there was no trace of drugs. He was not on any drugs or nothing like that. So (laughs) that was good. So um, to the final dream that was the life-changing one was um, a year after he passed away, about actually 13 months. So during the first 13 months, his father got cancer. He got um, liver cancer. Again, cancer comes on out of the blue. Most of the time, none of us know, so we don't expect it. But six months after his son dies, his only child, um, his his dad gets his liver cancer and um, just deteriorated pretty quickly but was on chemo and things like that. And so my girls went to go visit him. They had just seen him. He had called me and told me about their visit. We talked for like an hour. He he sounded good. He was starting a new chemo um, the following Monday, very optimistic, saying he was going to have my youngest, Mackenzie, come and um, stay with him or offered that she could come there and go to college and for free and not pay for anything. And so it was really a good conversation. There wasn't any impending, like I'm dying or anything like that. It was just you know, I'm I'm optimistic I got this new treatment going on. A couple of days after this, I have the, the real dream of Matt. And so he comes in my dream this time, and he is, the way I can describe, is just happy, healthy, whole. He was beautiful, and he was hugging me, and he was just just happy to see me. And he's like, I'm like, come here, baby, come here. I want to hug you. Oh, my God, I've missed you so much. He's like, Mom, guess what? I said, what? He says, my dad's coming. I'm like, what? Because in your dream, in your dream, you don't really realize what's going on in, you know, your wake life, you know? You're like, what? What are you talking about? Okay, come back here. And I'm, like, trying to, like, change the subject because I don't want to talk about his dad. I want to talk about you and me, and, you know, I want to know how it is where you are and, you know, things like that. And he's like, no, no, mom, you don't get it. My dad's coming. I'm like, okay, honey. And he had these masks in his hand, and he kept putting masks on, like funny Mardi Gras type mask. And I'm like, why are you being so silly? Why are you doing that? And he'd laugh, and then he'd take the mask off again, and then he'd hug me again. And I'm just telling him, oh my God, I've missed you. You're just so beautiful. And he goes, mom, I'm so excited. My dad's coming. So again, this was like three times that he said it. I'm like, okay, all right, honey. And suddenly, again, I, there's no goodbye, but I wake up. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> no, don't, I don't want it to be over. Um, anyway, so I fall back to sleep trying to get back to it. You don't. I get up about 8 in the morning, and I go get my oil changed. And I um, totally had forgotten I even had a dream. And I'm talking to a friend on the phone, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just remembered. I had a dream about Matt this morning. He's like, oh, really? Finally? I'm like, yeah, it was so cool. It was the best dream. He was so handsome and happy, and I feel like he's okay and he's in a good place because he was so happy. And in fact, you know what's weird? He told me that his dad was coming. And I don't know why in my dream, I was like, why would he be telling me that? I go, but he was seeing it with the excitement of a 10 year old little boy looking in the window, waiting for daddy. And he didn't say that to me, but that's the excitement that I got. The feeling I got was that he was this little child waiting for his dad to come and pick him up. And it was so cool because they had a strained relationship. And, you know, as a teenager, 
Matthew was really resentful that his dad didn't come to his football games. He didn't come to his baseball games. And, you know, so when his dad was trying to make amends to him as a young adult, Matthew was very bitter and didn't, he tried, but mostly at my encouragement. Um, And I'd be like, you need to, you know, reconcile with him. He's your dad. You need to, you know, forgive him. And he would talk to him and he would see him, but very reluctantly. So for him to be excited in his dream, to be happy that his dad was coming with so much excitement, showed me that there's so much love and forgiveness. There's no more anger. There's no more bitterness. There's no, I'm mad at him. Uh, None of that. And I realized that, oh my God, he knows what's going on with my life here on earth. I mean, he knows what's happening with me here in the present. That means he's still here. I can't see him, but that means his spirit is still here because he could tell me something was going on. Oh, back up. Um, I forgot this part. So while I'm on the phone with my friend, his my ex-husband's, my ex's wife called me and tells me that he passed away. I just called to tell you that Myron passed away two hours ago. So while I was having the dream, it was probably about an hour before his dad had passed away. So yeah, when when I got that, so I actually was talking to a friend when that came through, already telling them about the dream when I got the call that he passed away. So again, you know, just speaks to me that, look, he can see what's happening here with me on earth. He knows what's going on in my life. And if that's the case, one, I got a big sense of relief, like he's happy. There was no anger and resentment. He was happy his dad was coming. I also felt relief, like he's not alone. Not that he was alone, but you feel like they're alone. But now I know he's with his dad. You know, now I know he's they're together. And maybe maybe they had work to do. Maybe they had relationships to mend. And maybe that's why God chose him first. I don't know. You know, maybe, I don't know what the reason is, but that's what made me change my life to, okay, he's okay, Matthew's okay, he's showing me that he's okay and he's happy and he's healthy. I can't just wallow up in a ball and cry and and die. I need to do what would make him proud. And what was it that made him proud? And I thought back to the things that I was doing and like, to me, I felt like, okay, I got to get it back together. I got to get back to work. I need to get back to the gym. I need to, uh, you know, get back into church and straighten my relationship out and forgive God because he's been showing me that Matthew's more than more than happy, more than perfect and, and, and well. And so now it's your turn to live the, the rest of your life, the best of your life and you know, you're not going to wallow in this anymore. You're going to take your pain and you're going to catapult it to the other side and you're going to live your life on fire and on passion to help other people. You're going to, you know, turn beauty, you know, from the ashes into the beauty, you know? Wow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's uh, a, <laughs> that's beautiful and it's inspiring and wow. Like what, how can I, I don't know, where do I start with all that, all the dreams? Um, 
But the, the first part I want to sort of mention is amazing that your daughter was able to tell you about her dream that she had, despite knowing mm -hmm. that, you know, you'd get jealous, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> so, but she was able to give you that sort of gift. And then for you to have those dreams, and I'm really curious about that, uh, the dream that your friend gave you or the person you knew. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting how it was a cross at all things. Because you could have wore, you could have said, wear my pajamas or wear my baseball <laughs> cap, you know, like, but he said, you know, like the dream was wearing this cross. And I think that mm -hmm. represented that faith, right? Like that the anger you're holding was maybe blocking stuff. And so then when yeah. you started, I think yeah. that was probably the first, the first gasp you had of letting, letting it back in, in a way, like letting your faith back in. And then you had that your dream that really catapults you to sort of see there's more to this life than we know. And like, mm -hmm. wow, right? Like, and then you realize, oh, I don't really know everything. I just have to trust. Mm -hmm. And that's where you are right now. And you're trusting and you're seeing how things played out. And you found, you know, like you're so upbeat. Like it's a it's crazy. Like for someone who has went through the things you've been through to be this upbeat. Uh, I think it's 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 a remarkable story. And for dreams to be a part of that, I'm like the power of these dreams is takes my breath away all the time because not only you can give that joy to see them again but you regained your faith like and i, and I believe it's stronger mm -hmm. than it ever was mm -hmm. yeah and that's what when i i don't know how i stumbled upon your guys's podcast actually i really don't even know how i found it because i until recently haven't even even listen to podcasts honestly i think it was um oh a friend at work had a different one that i think it's uh terrible thanks for asking i think she mentioned maybe mentioned you or somehow i was on hers and she had lost a husband and so that was there was some mention of death and um grieving and things like that and maybe that's how i found you guys but i heard one i'm like oh my gosh this is incredible and then i heard another one and i'm like Oh my gosh, this sounds like me. There's so much of this story that's so much my story. And um, one of the other mothers had a Matthew who one of, does like retreats for women. I'm like, oh, I would yeah. love to do that. Yeah, she I was amazing. I would love to be involved. Yeah. And I have like so many moms and people that I know now that I never knew anyone when this happened to me. I didn't know anybody that had lost a child. So to hear people say, it'll get better. I was like, well, yeah, maybe for you, but you didn't love your son as much as I did. <laughs> you know? And I just, I couldn't see myself. That's no, funny. That's funny. I, I, you I know, couldn't see myself there. You're, you're the, you're a perfect example of a person who's grown through dream work, who's gone through it. Uh, a, t a traumatic loss you know you love you love someone so much and then it's hard and you grieve through it but i'm so happy to hear you tell first of all you tell a story in a great way i'm really happy to hear it it's amazing and then you talk about how that dream it sparked it you wanted it you wished for it. you will that dream mm -hmm. and you see the change in you through how you tell that story because you you know you were you were concerned you couldn't relax you couldn't you couldn't find comfort and you couldn't move on because you weren't sure if Matthew was in what what was going on with him. And then now, now look at you, you're, you can move on because, you know, you've had those experiences and that's, that's just the essence of what we're trying to do here is that, is that people going through suffering, grief, pain, you know, to, to, to give space for the dream, 
to give space for your loved one is an important thing. And I think just Mm -hmm. not neglecting it, opening yourself up, which is what you did. You know, you meditated, you had a little time for you, you had on the cross, you prepared yourself. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a beautiful story. And so, yeah, I had a tear through my eye through the whole thing because again, Mm -hmm. you, you feel it. Thank you. You know what? I'm this morning at work. I was telling somebody that I was going to do this today and it was one of my vendors and they were like, well, I didn't even know that happened because on a daily basis, I try, you know, at work, you don't really talk about it. It's not your main topic. And I told them briefly the story and this man was crying to hear it. And I'm like, wow, see, and I told him, this is my key phrase that I've brought with me, my best friend who was praying me through all this and sending me YouTube videos of all this music that I didn't want to hear. She said to me, Sandra, I feel like you need to introduce Matthew to people that'll never meet him. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And so I do that daily. I have a tattoo on my arm, has a name. And so it's a conversation starter. Oh, that's beautiful tattoo. Who's Matthew? That's my son. Oh, that's nice. And I'm like, yeah, he passed away two years ago. You know, you and then you start the story. And it depends on who you're talking to. Sometimes it's just brief and sometimes you get into it. Sometimes it ends up being a two-hour conversation. But I meet people and they get to meet him from me, through my heart and my passion. I tell my son's story. And so they get to meet him. And even though he isn't here physically, they still meet him, you know? Yeah, it's not even like, so it's not even like he, they meet him, they're meeting the love <laughs> you have for him. So it's like, it's, that, right. I th- you know, I think it's that love that people are like, Oh, what's that? Because so you, you don't see it all the time. There's so much anxiety mm-hmm. and worry. Even like when he was alive, you probably had a lot of anxiety and worry. But like right now, you're telling in such a pure way where it's just like your heart is just out there. And I think people feel that. And it connects with something mm-hmm. I think we all long for is to be in the presence of love. Right, exactly. And also, it's not often that we have intimate conversations like that with people. And so I think it's refreshing. Like if I'm meeting you and, I, and you're sharing something, I'm ask, oh, nice tattoo. Like, you know, those were conversations. <laughs> They're usually around random things like, oh, hey, you know, how much was that thing we had to pay for yesterday? Or, oh, let's <laughs> let's all plan this work dinner we all going to go to. But when you really get into that type of raw talk conversation i think both parties walk away gaining so much from that you know that individual walks away saying hey i had a real talk conversation with someone (laughs) i actually someone shared with me the most intimate you know tender part of their heart which is their son's loss Mm -hmm. and and so that's what Mm -hmm. you do that person you're gifting people each time you share that story yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And you just put it into words. That's exactly how I feel. Introducing him or introducing the love. Yeah, and you're sharing with people daily, probably a couple, two or three people a day sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. man. Let's talk about, let's talk quickly about um, this International Cruise uh, Victims Fund. Uh, sorry, uh, International Cruise Victims International. Um, Company. Yeah. Yeah. International Cruise Victims was founded by Ken Carver and Jamie Barnett, and they both also lost their children on a cruise. Um, I'm not sure which one was first. (laughs) Jamie's daughter was um, basically drugged and off off the coast of the U.S. um, near Mexico. And by the time they found her they didn't take immediate medical action they she could have probably been revived with a narco or something but 
things weren't didn't happen the way they should. And then her body was actually taken off the ship and embalmed in Mexico. So before they even got her back here, there was no way to even do any testing to figure out anything and who did what to her. So um, her, you know, Jamie is one of the founders. And then Ken, his daughter was on a cruise and fell overboard or went missing. And by the time it was reported, it was, you know, before the search party went out, it was hours later. So what what they're doing is with other family members, other people besides myself, um, there was another young lady, the same birthday as Matthew. Also, she went into cardiac arrest and had some things happen medically, had a stroke on the on her trip and wasn't treated properly. They did not airvac, uh, medevac her off. Just things that happen to them, neg- you know, negligently to these kids and these people. And the people, the general public just is not aware of the things that happen. And we just want to make them aware. Things like um, uh, the, the railings being raised. I mean, so people can't just randomly fall over and just get lost at sea and never to be found or over service of alcohol to, you know, having these unlimited drink packages where people drink so much that they've fallen over or get sick like Matthew and then go to their medical facilities and not get proper treatment. Um, you know, it's just, we just want to make people aware of what happens. We think that when we go on a cruise, we think that we're, cause we're all U S citizens. So we think that we're, most of us, you guys aren't. Um, when we go on cruises, we just feel like the laws and everything are the same, but they're not. Once you go three miles outside of the, the borders of the United States, or probably in Canada, the same, there's different laws that apply. And basically, they're not, it's called DOSHA, it's Death on the High Seas Act. They are no longer responsible to pay for any damages. So if you fall and break your hip or break your leg on a cruise ship, but you survive, you can sue them for millions of dollars, but if you die, DOSHA applies because it's not called injured on the high seas. It's called death on the high seas. And so if you die outside the three-mile marker, they're not responsible for anything but your funeral expenses. So what is their incentive to treat you or to take care of you? What is their incentive to have urgent medical you know, help for you? There isn't because for them... I hate to say this, but for them, you're better off dead. They have no urgency to check somebody's vital signs, the basic nursing tool that everybody knows as you check someone's blood pressure and pulse, and you don't even do that. You know, it's just just appalling to me, the things and the stories that I've heard and the things that happen to people, and that I just want to help make people aware. And they're, you know, getting some laws changed, some of the... The guardrails have been raised on some of the ships. Um, they're putting some detection systems. So if somebody does go overboard, they'll have that alarm system right away. But like medical negligence, some things like that need to be addressed, and they're just not. Just It's a big business, and all they're in for is you know, making money off all of us, and yet we're putting our children and our loved ones are going off on trips and thinking they're going to come back, and sometimes they don't. Yeah, well, the work that you're doing through this um, international group is obviously tremendous because it's, uh, you know, again, back to the basics, and it's sad. It's a sad fact that today, safety still is an important thing that needs we need to be cautious about and adhere to. Like working, I've worked in different industries, and and 
that's a big problem now is that so many young people die from construction or whatever manufacturing industries because they're not trained properly and the 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 safety protocols and procedures aren't followed to where they should be and this sounds like a just a classic case of, of outrageousness it's 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 silly mm -hmm. you know when you really talk through it's not one mistake mm -hmm. these are multiple multiple level systemic breakdowns and that's when you know mm -hmm. that that person who's running these ships they need change what their onus change the value change your perspective this can't be about profit or this or that it's got to be about keeping your um your valuable customers the people who are coming to your cruise safe as possible as much as possible and that's and and that wasn't done and i'm really happy that people like you are out there and trying to push for those laws to change and trying to push for those things to change you know if the the good that can come from your telling your story is this and and you know that's something that i'm glad you're you're attaching yourself to mm-hmm yeah, that's, I guess, to me, is awareness. It's, I want to take what happened to him, what happened to, you know, Jamie's daughter, Ken's daughter, Lisa's daughter, the people that I personally am friends with now. I want that to be, we don't want them, it's not in vain. It didn't happen in vain, and it can't be in vain. It didn't stop there, and we're we're going to do something. We're going to make a change, and so that doesn't happen to my neighbor's daughter or um, another family in Ohio or in Florida or in Alberta, you know, it's, we just want to make these changes so people are safe and they are held responsible and worry about the safety of their, of their customers, you know? Yeah, I think uh, it's funny because I never really thought about it, you know, and so what you're doing is you're making us think. I think that's beautiful, you know, and so how can people support uh, the group? Uh, is there, are you guys raising funds? Uh, can people donate or is it just, you know, spread the word? You can go to International Cruise Victims um, on the website. And yes, donations are always appreciated. They, um, a lot of times, what you know, they need money to help go to legislation. You're fighting against, you know, big business really when it looks like you're just going up to see, present a bill or what have you. It's people that are getting bribe money all the time, and I hate to say that, but uh, politics, but it's true, and, you know, just the things that happen. So definitely any um, donations, they, they'll accept on their website. Excellent. Uh, and that's that's amazing. Um, and I would I would actually also encourage people to reach out to you, you even if, if they want more questions and information about that uh, subject. Sandra, can uh, we're wrap, just wrapping up here. Can can you let people know where they can uh, reach you? Any contacts that you have? Sure, they can find me at goodgriefrelief.com. It's my blog spot. Um, I also am on Instagram under goodgriefrelief, and I have a group page also on Facebook, goodgriefrelief. And again, that's a funny little one. How I came up with that name? That was a that's a divine. Um, <laughs> a divine little inspiration there and just feeling it and you you it came to you and then you walked into my garage and seen the end the end of a book that was in a box for donations and it said good grief on it i'm like oh my gosh there it is because i already liked it <laughs> was that <laughs> so a charlie like, thank Brown you book? baby thank you <laughs> yeah. it was the peanuts. story it's actually it was actually the autobiography of charles schultz Oh, that's the right. That is called Good Grief. Really I totally forgot. Yeah. yeah. 
I remember that book. Actually, Sandra, we forgot our last question, our last most mm -hmm. uh, you know fun question that we like to ask. Um, if you could create a dream tonight of your son Matthew that you know passed away, and if you could be in it and recreate that uh, a nice dream for you tonight, what would that be? Yeah, I would love for that to happen. I haven't had one since his the last dream when he told me about his dad coming. So I would love to have another dream of him. Um, I would like to be able to just be with him any place. It doesn't matter the place, but he always loved the beach. And so I would love to be with him on the beach and just to be able to have a conversation with him about what it's like where he is. And my big question to him is, I think I know the answer, so it's kind of funny, but did you know Did you know I was there? I mean, that's a silly one because I know he knows I was there. But did you have a choice? Did, did you have a choice whether you left or not? I, I, I don't know why that's important to me, but I, I kind of would like to know that. And then for him to be able to tell me why. Like, you know, yes, mom, but, or, <laughs> you know, I just, that would be really cool to know and mostly just to see his beautiful face and hear him laugh and get his big bear hug and, you know, just to know that, you know, one day I'll be with you physically again. But, you know, in the meantime, I know, I know he's around me. That's cool. And what do you want him to be wearing? <laughs> what do I want him to be wearing? Well, he always wore rock revival jeans. So some <laughs> rock revival jeans with some studs on them. And he'd probably have on a T-shirt, like Affliction or something like that. That's funny. And did you want his dad to be in there or no? Just you two? Um, I'm sure his dad. I, You know, that's one thing I thought was funny. I have not had a dream with his dad. It would be nice if his dad would come and say, hey, we're together. <laughs> but that hasn't happened. But no, you know Take what? I, could, I just want to be with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think I just want it to be me and him, just to be able to spend time with him, be in his presence, and you know, just see his smile, and that's the biggest, the most important part to me. Wow, that's that's beautiful, you know. And I I hope you have a new dream like that where you get to see him again and feel the love again that you uh, you feel in waking life. But to have it again in your sleep is a cool thing too to wake up from. So I just want to thank you so much for all the work you're doing and coming through that journey. I think it's a lot of people don't understand how hard that is, you know, like, and I think can't conceive of the almost impossibility of you getting through this. You know, like when I look at your story, I'm like, okay, she's gone. <laughs> she's, she, you know, like there's no turning back from this one, but then something happens and you were able to work through those emotions and, find a way to inspire people through your loss and not only inspire them, but also raise awareness on cruise ship stuff that I know I had no idea about, you know, before you came on. So mm -hmm. even just for me, I know you inspired me to, to know a little bit more about the different types of loss that are out there. So thank you so much for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so glad that I found you guys. It really was an inspiration. Like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I want to talk to them. And when you wrote me back right away, and after I sent you my story, it was so cool to me because I was like, wow, I'm not, I'm not qualified to be this person. Like everybody he has on is like, you know, a social worker or a PhD or works at a hospice. And I felt like, 
am I really qualified? And you know what? And I, the more I said that to my, you know, stick your old thoughts to your head, you're like, no, you're qualified because you're telling the truth and it's coming from your heart. And it doesn't matter that you're a new blogger and you're newly doing these things because that's how everyone has to start someplace, yeah. you know? And so I was, I'm really honored that you wanted to hear my story. So thank you. Yeah, Sandra, it's, it's been fun. And again, like, um, Man, I was really into that story. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you know, when you, the way you tell your story, the way you tell the, the journey that you've gone through, it's incredible. And your son, Matthew, you know, he sounds like he was a re- he is a real bright light that, you know, people just naturally gravitate towards, you know, a really fun, loving guy and who was comfortable early on to tell his mom, hey, I love you. He's having fun <laughs> on a cruise ship. He still still takes a moment. Um, mm-hmm. And that alone is beautiful. And that's that's where you've done your work. You've done your PhD in that, knowing yourself. And you, you've this teaching that from his death that you've taken on into to the second part of your life, you know, that's that's an amazing thing. And I think a lot of people are going to gain value from that. I surely did today. So, Sandra, uh, we're going to thank you. You're welcome. We're going to finally wrap up. <laughs> we'll share our information uh, just so people know that. Uh, they can join the Facebook group if they'd like. We have the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. Um, and oh, yeah, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. That's a website. You've got a lot of information on that. Um, also, Dreaming of Owl. It's an amazing book that is released on Amazon. A little children's book to help uh, you know families and kids go through uh, grief that Joshua Black has uh, written himself along with uh, Deborah Stapleford. Uh, so amazing stuff and uh, YouTube uh, you can check out videos that we'll be doing We're periodically putting on some videos on YouTube and Instagram TV and as always we like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you the new beginning begins